0: Our text for tonight's sermon is Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6, just one verse. You can turn there if you'd like, page 1072. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, Isaiah 9, verse 6. God's holy word, give your attention to its reading, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Grass withers. The flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Amen. The great hope of the Old Testament church was that one would come who would bring something far beyond anything seen to that point. Something far beyond the the, the glory that Israel had experienced, something that would... Reach into a a, a new reality. And certainly, this verse in Isaiah 9 captures that very specific mentality for the Old Testament believer. Now, to what extent they grasp those things, it's somewhat of a mystery to us. We'll talk about that a little bit in just a few moments. But this is one of those uh, prophecies that really it, it finds very clearly its culmination in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is a prophecy that uh, would not have been a downer of a prophecy. This is a prophecy that would have created great joy in the ears of those who would have heard it and understood it. would have caused uh, people to be filled with joy. We talk about what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It grasps onto a reality that is something not yet present to us. We have faith in eternal life and in the new heavens and new earth and these things have yet to be, but our faith grasps onto that reality and holds onto that substance and in that sense it makes it present to us in our lives. The Old Testament believer, this was what they believed about the Messiah, that he was going to come and all of these things would be fulfilled. The chorus of this verse in Handel's Messiah is uh, particularly glorious and cheerful. It starts off in kind of that sort of happy sort of tone. For unto us a child is born. I'm sorry. Excuse the singing for a moment. And then, of course, goes to sort of this glorious ending. You know, Wonderful counselor. So it's the, it captures the spirit of the prophecy quite well. And we'll go through and walk through all of these things that it teaches us about the Messiah and about his character and who he is. It begins by saying, for to us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The word son would have caught the attention of the careful listener. A son in the ancient world was extremely valuable. Perhaps one of the most valuable things that one could possess, a son, and this son was going to be given, in a sense, given up, given over. You think of perhaps the prophet Samuel, who was given uh, unto temple service as his mother uh, asks for a son, is very desirous of having one, the Lord grants her a son, and then she immediately gives that son over to serve the Lord, and that is the prophet Samuel. This is a son that would be given from a family. Again, these are mysterious things to the Old Testament saint, but it would have been given to serve some greater purpose, the salvation of many. In Puritan Boston, one of the defining marks of colonial culture was something called the noblesse oblige, the obligations of the nobility. And the thought there, it was a a Puritan culture, so Calvinistic. So there was a deep sense of calling and election. Election and calling are sort of everywhere in Puritan Boston. In other words, what you have is ordained by God for you to have. If you have a lot of money, if you have a lot of influence, God has granted that to you and so uh, to the normal faithful Christian in the Boston colonial culture, the, uh, the question was how do I use my money, my influence, my position in order to serve God and this cultural dynamic of the obligation of the nobility came about where... Children of Supreme Court justices would serve in the military, whereas today that would probably be a little bit seem a little bit off to us. We insert people in power, people in positions of influence, think about protecting their own very much. Uh, the same four or five families kept producing governors of the state of Massachusetts. There was this deep sense that if God had given you a, a great amount of blessing. And influence, you should use that to serve others. Where did that come from? That came from having a Christ centered view of the world. It, it came from understanding that Jesus Christ was the ultimate Son who was given for the good of others, to serve others. It's a, a Christ centered way of viewing life, that as Christians, we are to be giving, we are to be generous. We are to seek to to bless others with what God has given to us and that's rooted in the ultimate gift in Jesus Christ. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Something extremely valuable and, and certainly the value of Christ goes far beyond what anyone would have expected. This was very God of very God. The son of God. The government shall be upon his shoulder. If the first Uh, phrase is talking about Christ's incarnation that Jesus would come as the God-man and it's fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth then the government shall be upon his shoulder is speaking of his exaltation that after he comes to earth and finishes the work that he is given to do that he will reign that he will ascend to a place of high exaltation that he will be given a rule that is far beyond all others. Now, in order to do that, we know that as you read the Gospels, as you go through and read about the life of Jesus, what did he set about to do? He made it his mission uh, to bring about righteousness, to seek and to save the lost. He wasn't able to put in the, the center of his view overtaking earthly kingdoms that's not what he came to do in fact he tells Pontius Pilate exactly that if my kingdom were of this world then my servants would be fighting you but my kingdom is not of this world and so as a result he is granted a a name that is above every name a rule that is above afar above all other rulers all other kingdoms this is the reign of Jesus Christ there's a historian who wanted to become a historian on, on basically Greco-Roman culture, ancient culture. And he had grown up nominally Christian. He lives in the UK, grown up nominally Christian in the Church of England and, and kind of was done with his faith and wanted to just sort of focus on his work as a historian. He started getting the sense that the world that in which Jesus lived was a world that really is hard for us to grasp. It was a very difficult place to live. The violent culture, very dangerous each and every day. People face dangers and uncertainties that we don't really know at all. And he started to ponder this and started to think about the, the massive ways in which the world has changed. And he saw the ways in which uh, radical Islam had sort of had its influence in the world and gone throughout. He kept asking the question what is it that changed the world to bring about what we think of when we think of developed and civilized society? And he came to the conclusion it has to be Christianity. Christianity changed the world. You see, Jesus didn't set about to overtake earthly kingdoms, but because he humbled himself and because he had in his mind to save from sin and to bring about this wonderful, majestic salvation to his people that The world ends up changing nonetheless and we still see the effects of Christianity in the world today. I heard someone speaking about Christians celebrating Christmas uh, this past week and he was saying you know it's, it's amazing Christmas can fall on a day like Thursday and of course for my ancestors Thursday is named Thursday because of Thor, Thor's Day. And the fact that none of us think about that anymore on Thursday is a testament to the way in which Jesus Christ changed the world. And the world has been changed because of him. So a couple of questions for us to think about tonight as we think about the government shall be on his shoulder, that Jesus Christ is reigning and ruling. Believer, are you living under his reign and his lordship? Are you living with this Jesus Christ as your king? Are you carrying about with you each and every day his rule? And understanding that you answer to him first and last. Colossians 1 verse 10, I speak of this verse fairly often, but Paul's deep desire is that the believers there would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What he's saying there, he's saying walk in a manner worthy of the king. Serve the King Jesus each and every day, be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And that, of course, causes us to realize that if Jesus Christ is the King, do we follow his word and take his commandments as fully authoritative, not questioning what he says for us to do, but following him? So then, are you living under his reign and his lordship? And then, secondly, Are you comforted by his reign as you await his consummation? When you face trials in this life and challenges in this life, are you making sure that you're reminding yourself day by day that Jesus Christ is king, that he is on the throne, that he reigns far above all rules, far above all powers, all dominions, and that he reigns in your life and that he is in control? These are blessed things that we must remind ourselves of. Isaiah 9 verse 6 also speaks of names that the Messiah will be given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. This is one of those titles that is probably hard for us to to, to fully get just as we're reading it. When we hear Wonderful Counselor, it sounds like somebody who's really good at giving you a therapy session while you're sort of laying on the couch and unpacking all of your problems. Wow, what a Wonderful Counselor. No, this is talking about something much different. It's talking about a, a king, a reigning one, who is himself a wonder. This Messiah who was to come, he himself would be a miracle. And of course, that's what we have to understand in regards to Jesus Christ. He, it is a miracle that God and man dwell together Two natures and one person, an incomprehensible mystery. And there we have the only mediator between God and man. The most miraculous person to ever live. And that very same person is the one who saves us from our sin. In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This word for counselor is a a wise king. A wise king like Solomon who when the the two mothers had the dispute about the, the child... Uh, Solomon, of course, solves that problem with utmost wisdom. That's a king who is reigning wisely, a king who is competent, a king who is doing a job that no one else could do. You see a leader in a, a company or a nation, and you say, no one else could do it as well as he is doing it. He is ruling. He is reigning. So because of who he is, again, I ask you, do you receive all of his word? In that sense, you know, sometimes it, it, perhaps in your life you've known a, a political leader or ruler that you were just so excited to go and, and cast your vote for. I'm so proud to vote for this person. And that, in a, a similar way, that's how we ought to live for Jesus Christ. He's a competent king. No one could do what he is doing for me. And Psalm 119 captures the heart of the obedient Christian. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. This God, this God-man is perfect, and he gives us his perfect word. He says, live this way. Do you live that way freely and joyfully? He's a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the, the mighty God. Uh, some scholars say, well, this is probably hyperbole. Isaiah is whatever he's saying here, um, we know that he never would have meant an invocation of the actual Yahweh deity, right? That, that, that would not have been entered the mind of faithful Israelite. But that misses the point entirely. The point is that God gave this word to Isaiah. And Isaiah didn't fully grasp it. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us this, that prophets didn't fully understand what they were writing. And in this prophecy, we have clear evidence that God is telling us before the birth of Christ that the Messiah himself will be divine. The Old Testament believer would not have fully grasped these things, just as Isaiah would not have fully grasped these things. But the Bible does not confuse God with man. That's one thing it never does. It does not confuse God with man. The creator is not the creature. And this Messiah, he will be the mighty God. He will be divine. He will be God himself. He's revealing to us the divinity of the Messiah. The word mighty is a word for heroic action. A God who would be a hero, a God who does wonderful things, a God who is mighty. There's a a pastor, I I follow his work a little bit, he is in Phoenix, and a reformed pastor, and he does a lot of work at, uh, in and around, abortion centers. And just this past week, he'll often be speaking with people, thinking about getting an abortion, and he'll plead with them not to do it. He'll even offer to adopt the child. So recently, a woman actually took him up on that. She had a child who had been diagnosed with the most severe degree of spina bifida. And he the child was born... Um, officially diagnosed with all of these things. Uh, He had been born uh, three days ago. He was born three days ago. And planned C-section. The child was going to be taken out and immediately taken into surgery so that they can try to repair the spine. And doctors and nurses all around in the delivery room. This child is born and his back was... They were expecting to find things open. And the child was completely whole. perfect. Nothing wrong, and the doctors themselves were completely flabbergasted, did not have anything close to a reasonable explanation for how this could have happened. It's the mighty God. It's the God who works with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He does all that pleases him. And yet Jesus Christ, the the Savior, is the pinnacle, the culmination of the mighty acts of God. He is heroic, and how he shows how heroic he is is how he saves us in Christ. The Lamb of God who was slain and yet conquers through being slain. The Lamb of God who is killed and yet he lives. This is the mighty God. Everlasting Father. This is an interesting phrase when we think about relative to Jesus, because we think about Jesus, of course, as the Son of God. This is an expression that would have, uh, would have been speaking of an immense care that the Messiah is going to give to his people. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. A good shepherd cares for his sheep, just like a father protects and provides. Good fathers do this. And thus, this is what Jesus was going to do, give his people everything that they need And provide for them. And protect for them. As a good shepherd. He takes care of us. He is the everlasting father. He is prince of peace. He's prince of peace. In Jesus' day. And for a couple of the centuries afterwards. There was something called the peace of Rome. The Pax Romana. And this was a a sort of stale peace. This was a a peace that kind of was was there just because it was there. Rome reigned for most of the known world, throughout most of the known world, and people just didn't really have the energy or the desire to put up much of a fight against Rome. And they knew the consequences if you went against Rome. Crucifixion was usually what waited for you. And so through brute force, Rome was able to achieve this this peace. They were able to do it through adopting deities as they went into new lands and sort of letting people live and worship the way they preferred. That was the peace of Rome. Jesus Christ brings about a different peace, a perfect peace, for he himself is fully righteous. He himself is the one who is the embodiment of peace. Peace. The wonderful thing of what he does in his people is as we are transformed by grace, as we look to the Son and are given the Spirit, God changes our desires. He transforms our hearts to make us say, above all things, that we want to serve this King. We want to. It is the greatest satisfaction of our souls to live for him and to serve him, and to give him our all. Why? Because he sets us at peace with God. You've been justified by faith, therefore you have peace with God. He sets us at peace with each other, and we know that we can be sure one day he will create true and everlasting and full peace in the new heavens and the new earth. The kind of peace that Jesus promises goes far beyond what any earthly ruler could promise. It doesn't mean the road will be easy. In fact, oftentimes, God's people will be set at odds with this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the character, the names of the Messiah. He reminds us of all of these things, and all of these things put together ought to cheer the heart of the believer, just as they were to cheer the heart of the Old Testament saint. This is what the Messiah will look like, will be like. This is his work. This is what he has come to do. These are the things we will call him. uh, For he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you spoke to your prophet Isaiah. And for this word that comforts us even now that we see We see that you are able to bring all of these things to pass because you are in control. And we worship you, Father, for having the love to send Jesus Christ. And we stand in awe of him and his work, his humility, his love, his obedience, his willingness to go to the cross for us. We think of that baby born in a cattle stall. And we thank you that it is there, it is there that we find our salvation and our hope. So we pray in his name. Amen.